He's an eight-time Bassmaster winner. He's a former Classic champion, former Angler of the Year. He's a former Bass Nation National Champion. He's actually even won a kayak event and was recently announced as the newest inductee to the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. This week, from Pitts Grove, New Jersey, Mike Iconelli joins me on... Bob Cobb for the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Welcome one, welcome all friends, family free. Welcome one, welcome all friends, family freeloaders, fishing freaks. You're all welcome here at the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, which is Mercer. Happy Wednesday. You are halfway through the week, so happy hump day. And I want to welcome in all our humpers that tune in week after week, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, you can count on seeing this show. But this week is a very, very special show. Um, not just because we have an incredible guest, but because of an incredible group of people. And guess who that group is? It's you guys. That's right. Not so much you nor you, but you right there. It's you that we're celebrating this week. Why? Well, if you remember... Not even a year ago, I was kind of freaking out about that plaque over my shoulder that YouTube sent because we had 100,000 subscribers. Well, it hasn't even been a year. And we just hit 200,000 subscribers. That's right, 200,000 subscribers, which if you ask me, I know I pulled it out a few weeks ago, but that requires a little bit of cowbell. 200,000, 200,000 YouTube subscribers, wow, thank you, thank you all, and I know I say it week after week, I, I thank you all, I beg you to give the thumbs up, the likes and everything, but that's the reason this channel's growing, because of you guys, if you've ever given a thumbs up, if you ever liked a video, if you've ever left a comment, if you're somebody who leaves a comment each and every week, you have no idea how much you've helped this channel, and I cannot thank you enough, and I get it, I mean, you may not have a comment every week, uh, even if your comment's just a thumbs up, a fist emoji, a strong emoji, whatever you want, that's cool. The algorithm reads that as you're responding to it, and it helps this channel grow. So please keep the grow going. Tell a friend, tell your family, tell your enemies, tell everybody to check out this show. Make sure to keep the grow going by liking, commenting, and subscribing. And Lord knows where we can get this channel to, because to be honest... If you'd have said to me, and I'm literally the most positive person on earth, but if you'd have said to me last year when we got that 100,000 by this time next year, you'll have 200,000, I, I probably would have took the under. I wouldn't have gone over on that just because it is incredibly hard to grow a YouTube channel nowadays. I mean, years ago, it was a lot easier to add subscribers but nobody told you guys that. What you guys have done with this show for me has been truly incredible. And as always, I cannot thank each and every one of you enough. So thank you for making this show what it is. And uh, let's not stop now. Let That snowball is freaking rolling down a hill. Let's keep it rolling. Let's keep it growing. And uh, how we're going to do that is by having... Pretty cool conversations with pretty cool people, and that's not going to change this week. Um, 
This week's guest is, I mean, he's one of the ones. I mean, you, there's there's a handful of names people throw around, and they're just like, yeah, he's one of them. Well, he is one of them in a good way. Um, he's one at every single level there is in professional bass fishing and unprofessional bass fishing. He has done so much for this sport um, to grow it. Long before it was a tagline, grow the sport, he was out there growing it. But growing it by, by being himself and growing it by showing that you can make it being yourself. Um, and one of the coolest things about my relationship with Ike is I've known Ike for a long time now. Um, we've had some pretty cool conversations together over the years. But he's just one of those guys that, like, we're both so busy. Like, so we have quick, you know, two, three-minute conversations at the end of a dock. But just a few times a year, we'll find ourselves somewhere where we spend a half hour, an hour, two hours just talking about whatever. And every single time I leave one of those conversations, I'm like, I need, I should talk to Ike more. Um, it's just kind of one of those things therapeutic conversations and the coolest thing about this show is i try to keep these conversations as legit and as real as they would be if nobody was listening in um sometimes we deal with some issues streaming wise crackly crackly here and there that may interrupt a conversation but other than guys not swearing near as much as they probably do in real life the conversations you hear on this show are pretty much the conversations that happen when we're not recording. So without further ado, let's go all the way to Pittsgrove, New Jersey and hook up with the one and only Michael Iaconelli. Mike Iaconelli, thank you for doing this. Dave, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I mean, not, not quite as good as you. A recent announcement came out. You are a freaking bass fishing hall of famer. Wow. Does it, it, does, it still doesn't even sound real. Like, like it's very, very strange. It's a strange feeling. You know, like part of me, you know, you say it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is a dream come true. And it's an honor. And it is. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's something, honestly, you know, you dream about that. But at the same breath, it's like, wait a minute. I just started like a couple of years ago. Like I'm, I'm the young guy. Well, why, what, you know, and like just the dirt ball from Jersey. What do you, what, you know, like, so there's that element, but it's, uh, it's amazing, man. I I'm still, you know, I don't want to say in shock, but I'm still, I'm still in shock. Yeah. I think it had, you have to be in shock. I mean, just because it's such a, when you start to think like I don't think it was it something you had even thought about before the announcement like it had it even started to creep into your head yet that maybe one day I'll end up there you know not really not not for me like other people have said that to me before and you know like if I if I ever thought about it it was in terms of you know maybe like when I'm dead and gone 10 or 20 years after that maybe I would come up in conversation, but to have it happen at this stage is just so unbelievable, man. It's, it's unreal that, uh, you know, that I'm in that conversation, you know, the best, the best way I can describe it is, um, when it was announced, I was helping out bass and I was doing some of the live mix yeah. with Bowman and, 
Uh, I had worked with Larry Nixon the first day and I uh, was working with uh, Mark Menendez the second day, Bill Dance the third day. And, you know, when they told me, Bill Dance was, tell you know, he's the one that announced it. And Clun's in the crowd to my right, Nixon's in the crowd to my left. And I'm looking around like, I'm in the freaking twilight zone right now. Like, this is not real. I even said to Bill Dance, my hero, I said, are you messing with me? <laughs> because I was, I was so thrown off, but um, man, it's all, it's, it's an amazing honor. Like I, I just can't even describe it to be in that caliber of people and not just tournament anglers, but you know, I, I've, I've not been to an induction ceremony, but I've, I watch from afar every year and look at that list of names and not even just the tournament guys, but the history of bass fishing that's there. It's incredible. I, I, I just, it's, it's unreal. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and, and I, I think it says, I mean, dude, I, I think it's one of those things that if you've never got in, inducted into it, you'd be totally pissed off at some point, you know, at some point you'd be like, well, wait, I did some stuff. But I mean, I think when it came in your life, I mean, it's, it has to sneak up on everybody because they're too busy doing what get, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. anglers are busy people and you're busy yeah. doing what got you in there. Yeah. Too busy to even focus on that. Like I think in football, yeah. it's more natural or something like you're done, you know, okay, yeah. so what do I got to do? Go to golf tournaments and wait to get inducted into something. Literally that's all you got to do. <laughs> yeah. It, it came at a weird time for me, uh, a great time, but a weird time because you know, I like really caught like a second wind in my career. You know, we've, I've been on your show before and I talked about, you know, how COVID kind of was, was a time for me to step back from, you know, what I've done my whole life. And I, I was like, man, there's more to life than tournament fishing. And I don't know, I thought for a while that it might be the end for me for, for heavy competition. And then, you know, I started fishing opens again and some kayak events. And all of a sudden I was like, man, I love this. Like I forgot almost that I love it, that this is, I'm passionate about competing. And I caught a second win. And even with a terrible year last year, like want to forget about it. I'm still hungry again. I have that feeling. And so, you know, it came at a time where I feel almost like, like I said, I feel like my career is still new, you know, it, it's been a long time, but it doesn't feel like a long time. And so you know, that was strange. And then the other part of it, I hate to even say this, but there's truth to it. So I got to say it. Um, you know, my, my career has been a, a, a weird, strange one in that, you know, I have a lot of people that appreciate and like what I do. And I have mm -hmm. a lot of people that do not like what I do. <laughs> in fact, I have a lot of people that hate what I do. And, uh, you know, I always felt like that was going to be there for a long time for me, you know, in anything that I did big picture. And so, you know, looking at it, I'm like, man, that'll never happen. Cause they, they don't, they, you know, I say they, it's just like an, Whoever they is. yeah, they don't <laughs> like me. They hate me. They, you know, but it's awesome feeling to know that people appreciate, you know, maybe not everything I do, but are appreciating some of the things that I've done and, I'm doing to help grow the sport. And that's man to get recognition like that. It's just, it's, it's nice. It's a nice feeling, you know? Well, it's, it's well-deserved. And, and I think that 
everything you're feeling now is going to be put on steroids when it actually happens. I mean, all you, you, you know, and I've watched it because I'm lucky enough to be at all those inductions. And it's really cool to just see these people who it, it, it just it's I mean, it's cool to hear it's going to happen. But when it finally happens and you're standing there and there's a physical Hall of Fame and you've all these dudes in blue jackets that you literally grew up. I, you know what I mean? The, it, it's, it's one of those moments where the pages come to life right in front of you, I feel like. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's going to be a, a surreal moment. And, um, you know, very emotional, too, because, yeah. you know, I, I, I you, you know, Dave, we've had this conversation before, but growing up here in Philly, Jersey, you know, like you're taught at like six months old to not cry ever. <laughs> if you're a male, you don't cry and you don't show emotions. You know, you get slapped for it. Don't cry. But, uh, you know, like a few times, a few times in my career, I've got emotional and, you know, I would say the classic win and angle of the year win, you know, at a professional level, uh, I've got emotional. And when that announcement was made, I got emotional. I honestly felt, you know, teary. Uh, and that rarely, rarely happens to me, but you know, it's nice to feel like that. Like, I, you know, all my friends are going to go beat me up after this podcast, but it's nice to feel those emotions every once in a while, you know? I mean, you're allowed to cry in your part. I mean, during the national anthem at sporting events and stuff like that. I mean, Philly loves that cry. Right. But, but it is bred into you though, isn't it? Like there's a toughness that comes from the part of the world that you like, and it's almost a, like a proud toughness. Like they're, yeah, they're proud that they know that they'd live in the place where it's not the easiest to get by in life. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's funny because, you know, like I try to relate a movie to maybe like my childhood or whatever. And the only one I could ever bring up is like Rocky. <laughs> and like, people are like, Oh, you're like Rocky. No, I'm, I'm like, no, but like that environment's there because, you know, like Mick in that movie, the trainer, you know, was telling Rocky, like, be more man, you know, be more man. Dude, my uncle and my grand, like, since I was a kid, you know, something would happen. I'd, you know, get hurt or like cut myself and then be a man, you know, <laughs> you know, just that. And I think that is part of this area, you know, but um, my wife's in the back laughing at me because she knows it's true. But uh, yeah, so I mean, there there is that. But, you know, I think the older you get, you also sort of like get to a point where you just don't care anymore, you know, <laughs> and it's okay to be emotional. And, you know, I've had points in my career where, you know, I was depressed and like, you know, people don't see that, you know, people, no. you know, see you as a strong male and they see you as, you know, you got it made, you fish for a living. And believe me, I do have it made. It's, I'm so blessed, but man, you know, we have, you have bad days, you have bad years, you have bad things happen in your life. You get depressed and sad like everybody else, you know? And I, I feel like I'm opening up more to that now at, at 50. So that's good. Without yeah, no, 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 I think it's very good. I think it's got a lot to do with testosterone dropping in you. Like uh, uh, my theory, because I find myself being a lot more where in the past I was just like, who's out to get me? And now I'm yeah. just lo a lot more. Yeah. I notice things more, I guess. I don't know it, it, what it is, but you're just not near as aggressive. Um, it might, you're right, Dave. You hit on the head. It might be low T. I, I think <laughs> I have low T. 
because I'll give you a good recent story of the low T. So at Lake Seminole, I was lucky enough day one to be boat 14. And I went right, I had like the worst practice of my life. I went right to this only place where I had multiple bites. I sat down, I power pulled down, never moved the boat the whole day. And I had a good, uh, 20 of our guys want to come in there. You know, yeah. it was a special spot. They wanted to come in. And, you know, I just, you know, I just had it, you know, I just had the spot. And the second day I'm boat like 98. So I'm the opposite end of the spectrum, 90 something. And I get there and there's like six dudes power bowled down. <laughs> and I think at a different time in my life, I would have spun out and, you know, cursed and yelled. And I just eased in there and had a conversation with the guys and power pulled down next to them. And one by one, they all left except one guy. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. I think you're right. I think maybe it's low T. <laughs> Well, I don't know. It's it's just natural. You're supposed to have less testosterone as you age. Um, right. It makes you less aggressive. I think it's just, it's God's way of telling us not to get your head kicked in by younger people. <laughs> we need to lower their testosterone so they're not quite as aggressive as they were when they were more violent because they'll, <laughs> they'll get aggressive with the wrong people. I think um, you're right. But I also think that, and you already mentioned it earlier when we're talking about the Hall of Fame, the mystical they. I think yeah. that that's a big part of your career, man. And and I honestly, you tell me whether I'm way off base or if I'm true. I think they, whoever they are, and they is never one person. It's it's it maybe not even a person, but they have driven you to be who you are. You know what I mean? Like I feel like you drove yourself, obviously, to be the pro you are. But there was a certain point in your career where we're thinking that there is people that are out to get you or people that are against who you are. Yeah. has made you the as the person that you are, has driven you to be that competitor. Agree, disagree? I agree. I agree. I mean, everybody's career and motivation works differently. And, you yeah. know, for me, I, I think you hit it right on the head. I think that, you know, I had extra drive at points in my career when, when you know, things were negative, uh, whether that was, you know, something that, I did or was something that people responded to in a negative way. I feel like it it got me to the next level, you know? So it's funny. I'm a good friend of mine, Pete Glusick, you know, always said the best moments of my career were during the worst times. And that's true for a lot of them, um, you know, where negative stuff was going on. Um, you know, I when I qualified originally for the tour, you know, I was coming off of some negative stuff going on. When I won the classic, uh, I was going through a divorce. My, my home life was in turmoil. When I won Angler of the Year was on the heels of a classic where I got disqualified because of this the light post thing, right? So, you know, I, I think there is a certain element to that. But the other part to that is I think that, you know, and, and let me preface this by saying, man, I look back, I did a lot of shit wrong in my career. I, you know, like if you could go back, would I have done things different? Absolutely. But that's life, man. If, if somebody could look in the mirror and say they didn't mess up a handful of times in their life, I'd be shocked because I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, not just in fishing. I've made mistakes. But, you know, I go on and I try to I try to learn from them. But but the one thing is I stayed the course like I've never changed who I am in from the beginning. You know, I've I've always kind of the same dude. And 
my highs are really high, my lows are really low. It is what it is. You see it in black and white. And and I've always been like that. And I think that's been a strength for me. You, you know, like when I look back on it, I'm like, I think people can relate to that, you know, can relate to, you know, you stay in the course and being who you are, you know? And, um, you know, when I look back at 20, 25 years or whatever, it's, I, I think that's helped me just, just not changing, you know? Yeah. Being, being yourself. And, and I did one of the biggest, coolest things about you that I, and I've said this to you, the way you surround yourself by your world, the relationships you have with Pete, with Brian, the carpenter, with everybody like, I, I honestly look at some of the stuff that you've done and it's got nothing to do with almost your tournament fishing accomplishments, but I think it's one of the most amazing things because at some point in your career, you said, like, I'm on apologetically. This is who I am. I'm tired of, of acting like how I think you want me to act. And did you brought all your friends into that? But I think it's one of the coolest things in the world. And I think it's I always say that about Adam Sandler. I think one of the coolest things in the world is Adam Sandler and how the people that are around him are his friends. And when he goes up, they go up with him. And and I think that that's one of the coolest things that you've done. You've le legitimately people through their association with you have gone on to other things in this sport. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. How, is that always, was that always a plan for you? Was it always like, man, one day we're going to get this big enough that we can involve everybody or is it just how you live your life? I don't think it was, a. I, you know, I, I, I tried to look back way in the beginning. I don't think that was ever the plan. I, but I think it happened. It's sort of, as those doors opened and as I realized, you know, I have the opportunity to reach people through more than just competing. I think it was like, oh my gosh, we got to do it. You know, and I say we, cause I give, I give Beck a lot of the credit. Uh, but you know, it's, it's like, man, when those opportunities are there, I try to take them every time and um, just been real lucky. Like I think in the beginning for most anglers, you look at it and you're like, I love to fish and I want yeah. to fish. I want a tournament fish. I want to fish. But then the more you get into it, the more you realize, you know, there's a lot more to it. And those opportunities, when they come up, when they came up, I was like, we got to try them. We got to take them. And, you know, like I can remember the drive back from the Bassmaster Classic. I actually drove back from the Classic with Pete Glusick and my buddy, John McGraw, who's a really smart dude, way smarter than me. And it was like a 20 hour drive home and the whole way back, like we were brainstorming, like how to utilize this year, 12 month platform to just reach as many, you know, to just yeah. kill it. And like, I look back on things like that, like, man, what, why did we do like, why, you know, like it wasn't premeditated. It just happened. And, you know, like I would never change any of that because, you know, that spawned it all really. <laughs> you know, and those moments, just taking advantage of it. Um, you know, Beck, me, Becky and I can't sit still well. So that's part of it. Like we just, we're not, we cannot sit. And so that's a part of it. But, but that ability to reach people through fishing in other ways than tournament fishing, I'm, man, I'm super, super lucky to have that because not everyone has that opportunity. You've had it you know, zone has had it, Van Dan, you know, anglers have it, but you know, and, and other thing is anglers get it and then don't want it, you know, 
There's been yeah. anglers that have that opportunity, like, no, 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 zero, zero, no, no, no. But, you know, I'm so lucky that I've had those opportunities and I, I took some of those opportunities and it's cool, man. Like, I don't, I don't regret anything that's happened in my career. I don't, I, I, I'd want to leave the slate exactly the same. And uh, I look forward to more opportunities opening up, you know? Yeah, it, it um, I don't, I don't think you can change any of those things. And, and I think so many of those things got blowing. So uh, it's just so crazy. Like when I think back, I mean, the world knows that you, it was a light post. That's all you saw. <laughs> they can turn it into a flag all they want. Oh, yeah. But yeah. there was, I mean, to me, like it just, there was a lot of stuff. I mean, it was, I think it was also, I say this to Kevin, like, I mean, your timing couldn't have been more perfect. I mean, you, when that all hit, like, I don't, I think I've seen you walk out of that conference center when you <laughs> thank you from the classic 7,000 times in my life. Cause ESPN just kept playing you storming out the door type thing. Yeah. When you were, when you were living in that moment, when you were yeah. being voted, um, was it Maxim or GQ who voted you the what, top 10 most hated athletes? Which GQ. one was it? <laughs> GQ, want to get it right. Yeah. When you were getting things like that, the weird promoter Dave and me is thinking you're at home going, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. Were you? Or what was it feeling like when you were in there in, in the moment of all that going on? Yeah, man, I wish. I, I wish because <laughs> I, I get a lot of credit for some of those things over the years. And, you know, people are like, man, you're a marketing genius. You're a branding genius. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm lucky. <laughs> I'm lucky it happened the way it happened. And honestly, you know, like some of those things, it was the perfect storm. And that error was the right error. You know, the ESPN days, the late 90s to, to mid to late 2000s was amazing. And, uh, you know, it was like lightning striking. You know, yeah. you almost you, you almost couldn't get away from it. So. You know, the thing, though, is I was aware. Right. So I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't orchestrating the, these things, but I was very aware of how they were helping, you know, uh, and how they were helping to build a brand and build awareness. And I was very aware of that and I was able to run with it, you know, so I, I'll take credit for that, but I don't take credit for any, any of the other stuff. It kind of just happened, you know. So none of the other stuff was planned. Like you're like straight up, like not. What about the the outer limits DQ? I mean, that looked kind of suspect at the time. I know, I know, and I've been accused of that so much. And and again, I look back on it, and yes, boy, if you ain't got a keeper, and there's yeah. five minutes left to go in the tournament, why not? <laughs> right? You're like, look at it. Like that's the best thing you could ever do. But honestly, like that year. I called, uh, you know, I literally called and I said, where's the off limits at? And at the time, I think it, I want to say it was, I don't know if I talked to Tripp or Chris Bose, but they explained to me where the off limits was. And I just misunderstood what they said. And then when I got there at every bass event, BASS event I've ever fished in my life, there's orange flagging and or a sign that says off limits in that event. They failed to put that up. <laughs> there was no flagging or off limit sign. And I kind of like fished around thinking, well, I'll see the sign and then I'll just yeah. stop fishing. Well, you know, that didn't happen. So even that one, you know, wasn't orchestrated. So, um, you know, there were a few PR stunts over the years, you know, that we, we orchestrated. But 
Those famous oh, oh. ones in tournament fishing? No. Okay, you need to tell me one, and it can't be. It can't be the, the most known one when you lost internet and made everybody hang out for the entire episode of I Glide for your decision. That was a good what, one. <laughs> what's a not what what what's one that was orchestrated that maybe everybody doesn't know? So, you know, just to let the real cat out of the bag, and there's probably gonna be a lot of people disappointed as I tell this, but I have to admit it, I have to be honest. Uh was when uh Fish My City was coming out, and we had, we were lucky enough to have a show on Nat Geo Wild. For yeah. a season called Fish My City. It was a great show, I man. I loved every minute of it. Uh, getting to travel the world, uh, fishing in, in cities for different species. It was great. But as part of the promotion for that, you know, like I was kind of disappointed, maybe is a good word, that Nat Geo Wild wasn't really pushing it, wasn't really yeah. promoting it. And just internally, we thought, man, let's go rustle up some business ourselves and rustle up some excitement for the show. So we went into downtown Philadelphia, literally tried to pick the busiest corner in all of Philadelphia. Like, I, I don't know. I was like three blocks from City Hall. I was a good, Dave, I was a good four miles from any flowing water whatsoever. And we had a bucket of catfish. And, you know, basically we kind of like staged that I was catching catfish from the sewer, like from a sewer drain <laughs> on hot dogs and pretzels and I had the girls here at the office phone in to all the radio stations. And before I know it, it was gone viral nationally. I was getting tweets from famous actors about it and just, it got crazy. So that was one that was orchestrated, but that was fun and funny, you know? So a little different. The um, TV and you, I mean, dude, you've been involved in some of the, the coolest fishing TV programs that have ever come out like honestly not just that one, but a lot of the stuff when you've tiptoed your step into tv i think every product you've ever produced has been great has been really inter interesting different original unique but i also kind of get the feeling that you're not totally satisfied with the world of tv that's the, and maybe i'm totally wrong in that but that's that's the vibe i get you're very right and you're so <laughs> Uh, and thank you for saying that, uh, because that's coming from someone I admire you, Dave, for your work in TV. Uh, amazing. Uh, really, really good work, because there's a lot of not great work out there in, in the fishing world. But, um, you know, it's like, I'm trying to think of the most politically correct way to say this. It's like, I love that, that, that avenue. I love yeah. that avenue. And right now, with, with no show, I honestly, I feel sort of empty. I feel, I feel like something's missing in my career and in my life, not having it right now. But at the same time, like I want it to be right and I want it to be in the right place. And I want it to capture people besides hardcore fish heads, you, you know? Yeah. And, and that was always a goal was to try to, you know, capture non-fishing people. And so- you know, that all has to come together right. The other thing is TV is not what TV was 5, 10, 15 years yeah. ago. It's ever changing. And then the last part of that, and this is where I think your intuition was right, is most of the TV programs I've been involved in, I've been hired talent. I've, I've been, you know, you sign this line and you do this work. And 
man, I, I, don't, I don't know if you could tell in my life and in my career, a real hard time with authority. I, I just don't know what it is. I would, do, I would have done horrible in the military or the police or as a fireman. I would have been the worst. I just have a really hard time with authority from the sense that, not that I'm trying to be disrespectful, but from the sense where I have a vision and an idea of what I want to do and how I want it to look and what I want to say. And when, when you're signing on the line, you lose some of that control. And yeah. um, so, you know, I can't say that I always got along perfectly with who I was working for, the producers or, or, or that stuff. And, and that's probably part of the problem too, is me. Well, dude, I, I feel I feel it. I feel we probably have similar feelings on a lot of it because I, I don't feel like when you say you don't you don't you have problem with authority. Everybody thinks, oh, wow, well, like doesn't want to show up at 7 a.m. that they want him to be there. No, I, I feel like Ike knows that you should be there at 5 a.m. They're telling you to be like, it, I feel like most of the projects and even promotion wise, and you kind of mentioned it what you did with the, the city thing, but I know whenever I've been involved in, in different TV things or in a writing situation where I work with a big company, to yeah. me, I'm like, okay, wow, this is great. Finally, I'm getting contacted by this big company. I'm gonna write this big thing and it's gonna be different and it's gonna grow our sport, but they really just wanna keep it. They wanna put you in a fly vest. <laughs> they want you to wear Tilly and Durables. Like they want to, Hold it's, the spinning reel upside down. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 There's, there's a lot of that. And so, you know, I think from that standpoint, I've been my worst own enemy in that space, in that TV space, but you know, in the same breath, man, um, it, it's definitely something, you know, we're, we're going to keep, keep going in that direction. Like, honestly, the urban concept, the city fishing concept yeah. is such a good one. Like D Dave, I know you get this all the time, but, when I go to fishing shows, when I was just at the classic, you know, a couple of weeks ago and I met, man, it was the biggest, one of the biggest classics I can remember. I met so many people in, in Knoxville over three days, but you know, the only thing they really want to talk about pretty much is I'll give you the short list is um, the dog that I cursed at, at uh, Lake, at, at Grand Lake in Oklahoma, uh, my win in Philadelphia, uh, the Ike Live show, and city limits fishing, my urban fishing. It's like all anybody ever wants to talk about. And it's so flattering because, you know, I was reaching, like people were touched by that show. And, you know, the people that, man, my wife met would never watch t fishing on TV. And then she, you know, or my, or my grandmom or my cousin or this, or, you know, and so many of those messages that have come. And, and man, it makes you, it, it, it's like, man, that's, that's the kind of show I want. I want a show that can turn those heads and get more people fishing, to get more people to look at the sport and be like, this is fun. This looks fun. I want to try this. You know, our biggest populations in the world are based around city centers. Yeah. And I want, I want to hit that. I want to hit those people and I want to get them fishing. So, you know, I, I'm not out of the, I'm not out of the game. I'm just, I feel like the right opportunity has to come, you know? Yeah. And I feel like it should. Um, it's just, it, it, I find it frustrating because like the biggest fishing show probably in the history of fishing shows, everybody's going to say Bill Dance and, and financial, yeah. 
a hundred percent North America wise, but worldwide, I would say it's River Monsters with Jeremy right. Wade. And yeah. to me, I have looked at it seven thousand times. I'm like, that show gets so much better if you put Mike Iaconelli as the host or who, because and dude. Jeremy Wade is a doctor, I believe, or a biologist or whatever. He's got way yeah. more education than generations of my family has. But I do know that Pike don't eat props. And I've watched <laughs> a show where he's pulled a prop out and said, look, a Pike might have took a bite out of this. Is, do you think that's the reason we've never seen kind of a legit pro like yourself hosting a show like that? Because at some point, a producer is going to be like, you need to tell people that the pike ate the prop and you're probably not willing to do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's part of that. And, and you know, that's it's sad because there's been other shows, too. And I, I you know, there's adventurers and there's personalities yeah. We've seen adventurers and personalities host those shows. But I would love to see a fisherman, a fish head, you know, an angler host one of those shows. And and you're right. I don't think we've we've seen it yet on that uh worldwide scale but uh you know i don't know man i feel like you know it's it's changing anything could happen you know it's uh definitely something i still aspire to do and if that door ever opens up count me in sign me up i feel like i feel like the doors will continue to open up for you um and and they you know even when you kind of retired for a short period of time i'm sure doors continued to open but big announcement recently obviously kvd has decided to retire. What what went through your mind when you heard that? You know, I, I, man, I think the low T things hit me because I think you get more honest also when you yeah. have low and you just speak your mind and you don't really care. So I hit, I hit, I hit you with a couple. The first one is just the one that I think everybody looked at and said, "Man, what a what a career," you know. And Toyota. Um, sent over a message to me like, hey, can you shoot a little segment on, you know, Kevin's retirement, what he meant to the sport? Dude, it was the easiest 20 to 30 minutes interview I've ever done, just looking at the phone, spewing stuff out, right? It, it's a no-brainer to look at his career and say, oh my God, he's one of the best, um, greatest angler of all time, if not the one of the, the greatest. Yeah. And I said in that interview, I'll say it again here, for guys in the Northeast, he was such an inspiration. You know, like I remember being this kid from Jersey and, you know, there were a couple like Randall Romig. Nobody would even know that name. Yeah. Rick Lilligard. No one would ever know that name unless you're an old man like me. But but Kevin was a guy from the North. Yeah. And so I don't care if you were from Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, just go up in that Northeast corridor. He was your guy. And he gave me inspiration because it was not done back then. There were very few guys that had an impact that were from a different part of the country. So, you know, what an amazing career. The second thing that hit me, and we joked a little bit about this before you pressed play on the show, is that I looked at it and I'm like, nah, he ain't retiring. <laughs> and a little bit of that was like looking at the mirror. You know, and, and look, I'm being honest. This may or may not be true. I'm just speaking yeah. for me. But, you know, when I broke away and fished MLF, it was for all the right reasons, but it didn't materialize, right? And early on, after a few years of the BPT, it was not 
deep down inside, I knew that this was not where I want to be. It certainly is not where I wanted to end my career. Uh, and, you know, my second thought after Kevin announced that was that, you know, I sort of looked at the mirror and I'm like, man, I wonder if Kevin's feeling some of that. You know, I wonder if Kevin, you know, not that anything that any of those guys, including me, did there was wrong. No. But, but is it right for Kevin now at this stage of his life? Does he want to totally go out there and not at the place where he built his career? So that's the second thing that came to my mind. You know, is this, you know, is this maybe just a semi-retirement and he'll come back and fish totally retired, whatever that means. Uh, but but I I long for the day that we can die, Kevin, uh, deserved and conservative. Don't cancel me, Kevin, the real Kevin. I cannot wait till the day we hear from him. And I'm sure we will eventually. Yeah, I, I think Kevin's Kevin, though. Kevin, I mean, he's he's Tom Brady. You know what I mean? Like, that's the answer. And I, I've really pushed him the last little while. Like, hey, come on podcast and be you. Because, you know, dude, Kevin Van Damme is one of the most entertaining dudes there is out there. But where does that where does that come from as, as an athlete or performer, whatever you want to classify with you guys? Is that just from... I mean, you've always tried to be honest at times, but you but you're guarded at times. Is that is that because at some point somebody just media runs over you because you told the truth? Like, does it become I need to protect all of this? Like, why why do we see such reserved pros at times? Oh yeah, I, I think that has everything to do with it, and especially the more time goes on, the more that we do live in a culture where your opinion and your real belief can hurt you uh, professionally, personally, financially. I definitely think that's there. I mean, and, and yeah, and listen, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not on the soapbox every single day with a bugle either. I, there, are definitely, there are definitely times when I have to shut my mouth and, and you know, I get that. Uh, but you know, there's a, a lot of things that run this profession and you know look kevin's a good dude and he's got that persona and he's one of the best educators out there he's got something that works so i think it's 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 important for people to be honest and to also you know address some of the other stuff that people don't want to talk about you know um so maybe we'll hear maybe we'll hear about that one of these days from him. I think the internet specifically is the reason that people have become a lot more honest. I just think it's you know in the past you used to be able to have a press conference and nobody would see that person again until they can you know what I mean it was a lot easier to lie to say hey, this is what I used. And I think that the show that you know like live that that you produce that you host that you put together is is a big part of that you know what i mean of that honesty but if you see it in every different level do you agree with that do you think people are more honest because they have to be now and this isn't specifically kevin this is everybody in the world generally uh yes and no yes and no i think there are things in life now that are more visible that you have to be honest about but i also think you know i, I think a lot of specifically pro anglers are not 
uh, because they don't want to, you know, they don't want to throw a, a buck in the road. They don't want to, yeah. you know, cause disruption. They don't want to stand out. They, you know, they, you know, and I get it. Like, I totally understand an angler's motivation to not want to do that. Um, because, man, well, what, you know, what if I say this? And what if mercury drops me because I say this? Like, I get that fear. I understand that. But at the same time, you know, I think that that has hurt us as a group of anglers. It's hurt us more than it's helped us over the years by not addressing problems, by not speaking up, by not standing ground, you know, and I'd love to see a day when some of that in fishing, I would love to see that one day. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think fishing is one of the most protected sports when it comes to that. Like it's literally, if you compare it to other sports, you know, nobody gets caught. You know what I mean? A lot of things are guarded in fishing. Why do you think fishing's like that? Just is it because it's, because a, it's younger a younger sport, sport or, or a Southern yeah. driven sport? Yeah, it might be, it might be a little cultural and, you know, I think a lot of it, I think a lot of it, honestly, has to do with the fact that this is a sport where it's like every man for themselves, you know, will it hurt me? Oh my God, it could hurt me. I can't do that. Instead of, man, there's a body, there's a group of 150, 200 touring level pros. What if it was good for the pros? Not you, but something that's good for the body, the group of pros. You know, a great example of that, this might be getting totally off topic, and I hate to do that, but the fact that there are competing tours, MLF, BASS, that schedule events on top of each other, the fact that they do that purposely is disgusting. I don't care if, if Bass is listening to this. Both leagues do it. It's disgusting. Uh, Keith Pochet might be the best example. He should be able to fish two tours if he qualifies for two tours. Tours separate their schedules. And we haven't done that because you can't upset MLF. You can't upset BASS. We can't upset Mercury. We can't upset Berkeley, pure, you know, those thoughts, that's a shame that it's like that. Uh, because a guy like Keith Pochet or whatever, a young guy, if he's got the stamina and the wherewithal to fish three tours, he should do that. He should make that money. He should compete. And it's sad that we're not at a point yet where as a body of anglers, we have any power whatsoever, you know? Why do you think that is yeah. just because the separation in the leagues, you know, I honestly don't think it'll ever happen. And it's, uh, it's for the reasons that we just said, like, until we can have a thinking that's outside of ourselves, it's never going to happen. If it didn't happen at the split, when that split was going on in my mind, this was the time for the anglers to join together outside of the leagues. And there was an email circulated even, maybe this is the first time this has ever been talked about on a podcast, I don't know. There was an email that went out to about 200 anglers 
that fished boat tours at the time. And, you know, I think like out of 200 emails, like 10 dudes got back and said, yeah, I'm in for this. Man, that's so sad, you know, because, you know, that was the chance, right? That was the chance. The sport was was at a moment where the anglers could unite together outside of the leagues as professional athletes, anglers. And if, if it didn't happen then, I'm, I'm very suspect if it'll, if it'll ever happen, you know? Yeah. You would think, I mean, there's that, that is the time when it, anything, I mean, things happen since that split things have happened. The people imagine would never happen. You know what I mean? On both ends, you yeah. know, both at MLF and at bass. Um, and dude, I think you know me well enough that, I mean, I probably will lose my job one day because I side with the anglers more, more than the company I work with. I mean, I want you guys to be able to, you guys take all the risks you got in late and you're right. You know, if you're young and you want to fish three circuits, you should be able to fish three. I mean, it, if you go to school and you become a doctor, nobody tells you that you can't put in the pool in the first five years, you need to start working and make as much money as you can. And with everything that you guys risk, I, I agree. And, and, and I also think of it from a fan standpoint, I hate the fact that, that, everything's on top of each other. It's just foolish. Yeah. yeah, that's hard. That's hard, man, as a fan. I mean, I know the hiatus that I took, uh, you know, right after COVID there, I, I, I was, you know, MLF event, bass event, you know, going on at the same time. And you're just, it, it's confusing. It's confusing. I, I, I wish that, you know, at the very least, I wish they, the tournament organizations would, you know, say, hey, let's do what's right for the sport. Let's do what's right for the fan. You know, um, I hope they get to that point one day because they're they're surely not there right now. No, no. What well, in a perfect world? What? How would you like tournaments to be set up? But not even okay. They're not going to conflict. Let's say they're not going to conflict. Would you do you like back to backs? Do you like one a month? What What would you like tournaments to be like? If yeah, you could do well, it all. Yeah. Well, I like. I mean, honestly, from a scheduling standpoint, you know, I. I go back to 2006, uh, the year that I won Angler of the Year. There was 11 events yeah. that stretched from right after the Classic, which was, I think, in January, February that year, maybe February. It stretched from right after the Classic in February all the way through, like, late September, you know, yeah. early October. That, to me, would be a dream schedule. More tournaments more chance to make income, right? These are tournament fishermen. We want to fish tournaments, but spread over the seasons. I want to see winter turn. I want to see winter tournaments. I want to see sight fishing tournaments. I want to see a post-spawn tournament. I want to see a heat of the summer tournament. I want to see an early fall and a late fall transition tournament. I want to watch these guys pattern fish over the seasons. I don't want to turn on the thing and watch five bed fishing tournaments out of nine events. I don't want to see that as a fan. I don't want to see that, you know? And we joked before, before we came on, we joked about the Sabine coming up here for us in a few months. Um, tough, tough event, right? Yeah. Uh, not the best fishery, but, but I do like it. I like a tough, you know, like I want to see a slug fest. I want to see a good old, you know, run of the mill tournament. 
I want to see a numbers tournament. I want to see a tough one. I like that variation. You know, I like that. And I like going to other places. Man, if, if the MLF has done anything, <laughs> man, I'm saying it the wrong way. One thing the MLF has done really good, especially back when it was uh, uh, pre, pre-breakup, is they did a really good job of fishing some places that we don't typically fish. Yeah. Right. And they have a smaller field. So they're able to fish, you know, by splitting that field up, they're able to fish smaller lakes. Man, I like that, you know, to go back to the same place over and over and over and over and over. That I do not like as a competitor or as a fan. I don't like that. So, you know, go to some different venues uh, as good as Knoxville was at the Classic. As much as I love the city and the fans and the people, was that the best place to have a classic that time of the year with 50 guys? I don't know about that. <laughs> I think fishing wise, I don't. Uh, uh, if, if you to to attend it as a everybody that went there thought it was wonderful. If you're great. attending it, I think it it's great. great that way. But if you're sitting yeah. at home watching it, it wasn't the best fishing. That's for sure. Yeah, with 50 guys, I mean, your range, your scope of lakes opens up a little. And, you know, they're not building a whole lot of new lakes. But, dude, do this for me. If you're watching this right now or listening to this, do this when you get a chance. You know, when you're bored, like you're sitting on the toilet taking, like, one of those 45-minute dumps or whatever you're doing, do this real quick. Um, Look at your phone. Look at maps. Start going to states. Go to South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama. Start looking at all the giant ass reservoirs across this country that nobody knows about. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Start going back out to California. Hopefully Bass is listening. Go to California. Go to Canada. Go, go places. Have an international event. Start, start expanding the scope of the playing field. I like that a lot. You know, I like those concepts. Yeah. And I do too, but uh, the, the California thing and the travel thing. I mean, I love when we go places like that, I just have a hard time defending it to some anglers. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they're at a different point in their career and they look at it and they're like, so I don't get paid anymore to go to California. And it, it is the right thing for the sport. Yeah. But what do you say to an angler when they're like, well, I, I, it's the right, I don't disagree that's the right thing for the sport, but it's not what I can afford. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. And, you know, it's it's a double-edged sword, you know, and you, yeah. you, you want to go out there and you want to experience those fisheries and you, you want to embrace the West Coast that most of the time feels like a, you know, redheaded stepchild in the sport. You want to embrace them, but it is a lot of extra money and, and the sport we're not there yet. You know, I, 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 you know, I hope the sport gets to a point where, you know, that stuff becomes more feasible, especially for the young guys, you, you know, like the established guys are set, you know, but you know, until you get set, it's tough. I remember, man, I remember, you know, I remember being a, scared and afraid that I, couldn't even make the next tournament you know i remember those feelings man and and that's hard you're right that's hard to justify to those anglers you know it's very hard what when was when was the most scared you were in your career like what was the night where you're in your vehicle thinking man this might be done for me i had a few of them i i would say 
you know, early on when I, you're, when you're trying to qualify, like I remember doing drives home, drive homes, uh, drive home from the invitationals. So the qual yeah. back then it was the invitationals and having a bad event, you know, this is like 96, 97 and like literally in the car for 15 hours, looking in the mirror, talking to myself, being like, I, I can't do that. Like, I'm not cut out for this. Like, I can't do this. Like, what am I doing? You know? And I remember those days. I remember the, the minute that I signed the paper and that's gotta be the scariest thing in your life. I remember 1998. Finally, I came in third in points in the, in the invitationals and I qualified for the top 150s, the elites back then. And then you're so pumped up and yeah, I did it. And then the paper comes and you're looking <laughs> at that paper and you're like, and you see that dotted line down there and you know what that means financially to sign that line. Um, man, that's so scary, Dave. So scary, you know, because you have to trust in yourself and believe in yourself, but 50 grand in entries and, and 50 grand in expenses, dude, a hundred grand yeah. before you make a cast is a lot of money. It's a lot of money for a young guy that's giving it away, giving it all yeah. up, leaving his family, leaving a nine to five, taking a risk, you know, whatever, whatever the background is. It's a lot. It's a scary thing. So remember that being scary. Um, man, I remember before I won the classic in 03, I remember literally having my mind made up that um, I was not going to come back and bass fish anymore, you know, because of what was going on in my life. And, you know, that was a weird, scary time. Man, there's so many of them in my career, you know, scary moments, but uh, you keep going. I think, I think, I think that's what makes anyone that's good at what they do or, or has success in what they do. You push through those moments, you do whatever it takes, you know, and, um, and, and you have that drive to keep pushing. And then I hate to say this because I'm so anti-luck in anything in life and fishing, but you do have to have certain things happen at certain yeah. times. You, you know, like I can't not mention that because that's so important. You know, I look back at my career, like if that didn't happen, man, I'd have, you know, or if this didn't happen, you know, and you have to have a little bit of that sprinkled in too, you know? Do you think Vegas is good? I mean, he seems pretty, I mean, he's a kid still. And, and I think it's awesome to let him be a kid, but he seems pretty driven to be a big kid. Like his dad one day. Do, do you think that, that this is what he's going to try to do to make a living? Man, that's the, that's a tough question. <laughs> that's a tough question because part of me, you know, as a dad, and as a fisherman, I see the potential of what he has. And, and a lot of it's not even learned. It, it, it's hard to describe it, but a lot of it is this natural thing that yeah. he has, this natural ability. And, and that part of me sees it and I envision it. And I think, oh my God, how, you know, how amazing would it be for Vegas to do this? And Right now he loves it and he he's fishing after school and he's leaving his John boat in the water and he's fishing junior turn. 
But at the same time, you know, Becky and I have conversations when they're not around and we say, man, he's 12. You can't put that pressure on a 12 year old and he has to enjoy life and he has to do what makes him happy. So we, he plays soccer and he builds he builds these robots and he builds model airplanes and he's doing all this. He's weird. He's a strange, weird kid like me, Dave. Very odd. He's very odd. And, uh, you, you have, you know, so that part of me says, man, I don't know, you know, let him be a kid, let him, let him fall into what he is supposed to fall into in life. What, he, you know, so you, you want to leave that blank slate there too. And, and the last thing is I am not envious of any of the kids that have grown up in that realm. I, I look yeah. at, yeah, I mean, gosh, you look at that list, Chad Brower, uh, Dion Hibden, uh, and, and successful anglers, right? Uh, you know, Randy's ha- Randy Howell's children, um, you know, any, any of the pros that have kids trying that, yeah. man, that's a tough road. I, would, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And that's what Vegas is going to have to experience if he does it. You know, there's always that. I'm always going to be there on the background as his father. And I can't stop that. Um, and it makes it harder. I think it makes it harder for, for, for those kids, you know? So he's going to have to contend with that at some point, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think it makes it harder. I think it's, it's, it's easy for people from the outside to look and be like, well, it must be nice. You know, he's Ike and Ellie's kid. So sure. Yeah. I think the doors are going to open for him a little quicker, but they're also going to, not have the same standard that they would have for the first year guy because oh yeah that's not how they went into it you know what i mean and and um i always think that that is one of the toughest things in the world to to you know you know like obviously it's pretty prominent uh promoted right now lebron james's kid uh ronnie you know is about to step into that world and and it's just so un i mean how can you how can you expect that? But at the same time, I think that that if 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 that was what Vegas really wanted, and yeah. if that's really his dream, that's yeah. just going to be his day. Yeah. You know what I mean? That then yeah. all of a sudden it's a totally different day than you. They they didn't want Iconelli to make it because he's from the city and he's you know, whatever you created in your head. Um, which uh, that'll be my next question. Why didn't they want you to make it? Uh, <laughs> But Vegas will create that and whoever, and it doesn't matter whether yeah. it's him or anybody, but they, they, everybody creates that day. That is yeah. what motivates them. I think most people are more motivated by the negative than the positive any day. Like everyone loves to hear you're doing a good job, but if you hear from the wrong person, you'll never make it. That is the most motivation anybody can ever. Oh hear. yeah. I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And the other positive to Vegas is, you know, I think as parents, Dave, you know this, you know, you want to be role models to to your kids. And, you know, Vegas sees all the other stuff, which I think is a great thing because, you know, whether he decides to pursue this or not, he knows what it's all about. It's not all fishing. He sees us killing ourselves in the office. He sees the tackle prep. He sees the classic. He sees the fans. He sees the sponsors. He sees the work. He sees He's, he just walked past the office, see me doing a podcast. You know, he knows that it's a lot of work, right? So, you know, I, I think that's a great thing for Becky and I is um, for all the kids. They get to see us 
we work hard and they I, they're emulating that and that's 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 good you know yeah they they need to see that i think that's the most that's why third generation families go broke like if you talk any of those mega power families you know because the kids of the first generation see their parents working their ass off so they yeah. get there and they're like well i gotta work well by yeah. the time the third generation rolls around if you if you're a mega power i mean you don't even know what work it how do we, you apply oh, yeah. for a job like oh yeah yeah oh, that's it, great your impact has been seen very recently and and it, dude it it really i i don't know that it I don't know why it didn't maybe I just expected more. I always expect more, just so you know. Like I have this weird in my head, it's always gonna be bigger than it actually really is. And I don't think that's a bad thing. That just means that I always but when I saw Tyler Ravet win, and I've always known the tattoo that he had in his arm, and when I saw him flex, I'm like, man, the, all those old boys who were like, What is this gonna do to our sport? I can Ellie out there doing this and doing that that right there is what it did for our sport you know what i mean like so to see him win that tournament and flex never give up on his arm like well, what did that feel like to you or did it have any impact on you oh it definitely did it definitely did and, and i had a chance to have tyler on uh the ike live show uh, a couple weeks ago and it was it was awesome it was really awesome and it it d does feel like um you know, it feels like when I saw that and when we got to do the interview and talk to him and I really learned that I had an impact on this kid. Yeah. Uh, it's a great feeling. It's a great, it makes you feel old, but aside yeah. from that, it's a great feeling um, to be a role model for someone and to have an impact on someone and, you know, to, to change someone's life, maybe, you know? And that's a great, that's a great one because it's visible and it's out front, but man, I, I, I think that to me and my career and my life, Becky and I talk about all the time, those things are more powerful and meaningful than the trophies and the, you know, the wins and the, that stuff, because you, you know, you're like, man, you know, I did something that was a, a positive thing, you know, with all the negative we get a lot of times over the years, you know, it's like, and here's something that helps somebody and here's something that pushed somebody in a different direction or, you, you know, and that's an awesome feeling. And we do these Ike foundation events where we get kids fishing and a lot of these kids never even cast before, you know, and we've already less than 10 years, we've had kids come back and say, you, they're adults now. And we've had kids come back and say, man, I, 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 that's is my hobby now because of you guys, thank you. Yeah. Or I've got to teach my kids now because, you know, and that stuff, man, dude, you go to sleep at night and you're like, it feels like whiskey. It's warm. You know, it makes you feel warm. And it, it's a good thing, man. I, I, those, those things are awesome. Um, you know, I, I, I love it. I, I hope uh, I've had an impact on people like that. And, and that's what you want. You know, you want to have, you want to look back and say, man, I did some stuff wrong. Yes, man. I, this was terrible. Yes. But man, I did a couple things, right. And, and I helped a little bit and, and, uh, that's a good feeling, man. That's a good feeling. You did a lot of things, right. And, and I've said it a bajillion times. You've heard me say it. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people in this sport and I've been very lucky to work with a lot of them. Um, 
and when you work live events, I think you get to see all sides of people. You know what I mean? Like for everybody, people have good days, bad days in between. It doesn't matter. But I've always said one thing, dude, I'm like, it doesn't matter what's going on in your world. It doesn't matter what happened in the tournament. If there's a bunch of kids lined up for an autograph, you will stay there till it's dark. Like it is amazing your connection to the next generation. And, and I think you're, you're a big, I mean, everybody keeps pointing fingers to all these reasons why fishing's exploding with all these young anglers. You're part of that. You're a big, big part of that. Is that what drives you at this point in your career? Or there has to be still some, I want to show these. I got, I still got it. I, I can still kick ass, right? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I, I mean, I think part of your motivation in life, you know, I think you, you talked about it earlier. I think you hit a point, you know, in your life where things mean different things, you, you know, Man. and I'm definitely at the point at, at which, you know, impacting people in a positive way, man, that means a lot. Absolutely. That drives Becky and I every day in this business that drives us, you know, impacting people and growing the sport. Yes, for sure. But at the same breath, you know, it's like, I, I think the second part of what you said is true. You rip everything else away. And at my core, man, I'm still a fish head. And yeah. like, there is nothing like pulling back on a fish. There is nothing like figuring out that puzzle, whether I'm at an elite event, whether it's next week at Murray and I, you know, I'm figuring it out or if it's out back here in the pond and, you know, the moment where you're, that puzzle comes together and you solve the puzzle. That's I'd live for fishing. I mean, that's why I do it, man. And that still burns there. And, and, I think you can look at guys like Roland and Bill Dance, Jimmy Houston. Dude, those guys are, man, they are, they've done everything. Yeah. They don't even need to be out here anymore. Why are they out here? <laughs> but they're out here because of that. It's amazing. Yeah. Dude, it's amazing to see it. When you talk to those guys, they still have that burn inside. You can, you can tell. I don't care if their speech is slower or they're, older looking or their hands are wrinkled my hands are wrinkled um dude they love it they freaking love it at the core and i hope that never changes for me i hope that never changes because whether i'm tournament fishing or doing tv or doing the dumb Ike life podcast or whatever i'm doing <laughs> you know if it can still connect to fishing which is yeah. what i love since i was eight years old if it can still connect to fishing man dave i'm gonna be happy and i know you will too because you've got that same core that i have if we can still do this and it connects to what we love man it's good life is good still on the line from cliff crochet yeah life is good, life is good michael life is good. <laughs> i was over by the bayou tronos guessing at the rosa game and life is good did i sound Asian? A little bit, a little bit. Jersey Cajun. <laughs> he, uh, no, but as soon as you said that line, that's who I thought of. And, and dude, it's true. I mean, dude, there's a guy who life is good. Like, so like, and you, me and him talked a couple of weeks ago and I'm just like, everything in your life is so good. You just like that one element of fishing that drives him that he's got to exercise that demon. But really, I mean, 
Crochet's one of those guys who figured out life early. You know what I mean? Like as a young man, he, I, I don't know if that, a part of that's where he's from. You know what I mean? That's a very Cajun way, but um, life is good. Let me ask you this. Cause I always used to think it like when I would see guys like Bill dance and stuff like that, I'd be like, what in the world are they doing? Like there is no way one day I'm going to be 75, 80 years old and wanting to, but now I'm 49 and I'm like, I don't really see an off switch anytime. Like, do you see yourself legitimately? And I don't mean from competition because of course that that's a grind, but do you ever see yourself retiring from this sport? Like, is there a Boca Raton with you in a leisure suit? One hundred percent not. Uh, and, no. and Becky and I, no, no. Becky and I talked about it. Like, uh, there will, ne- you know, retirement. That word is such a slippery slope. But no, like we're. I'm going to do this till I'm in a walker or peeing and pooping myself or whatever. Whatever it comes to, <laughs> I'm going to be do- doing this, and I love it. And it's so, you know, I, I mean, it's it's so rare, Dave. You know, to be able to do something that you love to do. And I drug Becky into this world and she's, you know, has found a love for it because you see that positive impact on people. Yeah. And that's why I think those guys are still doing it. Like, look at the lines for yeah. Bill Dance and Clun and Nixon and Roland. And J- look at the lines of people. And man, from kids that are eight, that they don't even know who they were until they watched them on YouTube to dudes that are their own age man to have an impact on people doing something that you love that's rare you can't run from that you can't put a leisure suit on and and go to fiji for the rest of your life for that you got to keep doing it man (laughs) it's true it's true so at what age do you have to like evolve out of the flat brim and everything like i i noticed today's hat's got a little is this a a gentle (laughs) a gentle curl curve to it uh a lot of the hats still have this i leave the sticker on them that drives people nuts uh today today was a content day here at the office so we shot we have a young guy named jake now shooting our content in-house here and he had me shoot one of my shorts um with my hat like that he's like put your hat like that and i said why he's like oh there's like 10 comments on every video you do that your hat's flat or it's a little to the side and we, we want to build that up. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> put my hat to the side, you know? Uh, yeah. I don't know, man. I don't, I don't, I don't want that stuff to ever change. You know, uh, I don't know if I'll still be wearing flat brims when I'm 80, but uh, I want to, I want to stay the course as long as I can, you know? It's funny. You mentioned that. So are the, are the, are the complaints they get with your hats off the side, are they complaints or what are they, what, like, what are people saying? Oh yeah, like straighten your hat. You know why are you still, you're fifty. Why are you still wearing your? Hat? It's funny because we do a lot of underwater shorts. I'm sure you've seen some of the underwater shots that I spend yeah. way too much of my life capturing. Yes, but the funny oh, thing the is, but by, by the way, real quick, the water bug eat that you had, I love that one. I don't know if you remember filming that one. You did. I one do. Of- Oh, that dude, bait I, looks so good underwater. Oh, I, I shared that so many times. Uh, what a great eat that was! That was that was incredible. Oh my god! But the funny thing about those is, so quite rarely. I mean, I show some hook sets now, but most of the time there's no hook. I mean, if I get a fish to eat once, 
chances are it's not in the right area or whatever. So you try to get multiple eats from a fish if you can. But uh, there'll be people and they will get rabid. They'll be like, show the hook set. There's no hook set. I'm going to dislike this. So we started showing the hook set. And the, yeah. this is the funny project in life. They got less views. So if I, I started yeah. putting ones up with hook sets, they got less views because the the algorithm didn't respond to the 10 or 12 people that would just bitch, show a hook set. Right. So there's a little yeah. bit where you need to upset people, I guess, in life Dude, it's, <laughs> to keep it's, the algorithm happy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and you know, that is an algorithm of a great brand. And I've, I, I've actually been beat up a little by saying this over the years, but I'm going to keep saying it because I believe it. Um, the really strong, believable brands that 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 impact people and, and really are ingrained in people, you know, you have to have that element of negativity. Uh, I don't want to say hate or haters, but you have to have that there to be a strong brand. You can yeah. be a great brand, but if everybody likes you and you're Mr. Nice Guy to everybody and everybody agrees that brand is not as strong as the brand where you have the 10 or 12 people saying, this sucks. Why aren't you using a hook set? Why aren't you show? That's a way better brand. <laughs> I feel like you tell yourself that on long drives. It's a way better brand. <laughs> way better brand. It's way better. Trust me. But I think what you're saying is right. Like, I think that there is fishing. If one thing is negative that I wish we had more of in, in competitive fishing i wish we had more passion and i don't mean that like i think we have a lot of passion where people are oh gee shucks i really want to make it this is my dream and everything but everybody's vanilla like there's yeah. no like i've always said like to be a yankees fan you have to hate the red Sox. you know what i mean like yeah. th that exists in every sport you have to be that way to be an eagles fan you have to hate the dallas cowboys i mean it's yeah. just how it works yeah but in pro fishing, everybody's very, very nice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, if it's yeah. my time, it's my time. If it's not my yeah. time, it's not my time. It, I, I think that that'll be a big, like when we get to the point where we actually have people, and I don't mean that like they're villains just to be villains. I just think that there's certain, I've used the Cliff Pace example a lot where I've said, and, and, I know I had this conversation with him, many people, and I was like, be who you are. Be, I don't care. He, Cliff Pace doesn't give a crap about arena weigh-ins and stuff like that. He really just wants to win the tournament. So go up on the stage and say that. Say, I don't care about any of this stuff because there's yeah. a certain percentage of people that just like Marshawn Lynch will be attracted to them and be like, that's my guy. He's not yeah. about the hoopla. But I, yeah. I feel like for whatever reason, we we haven't quite got there. Yeah, I, I think that gets back to, you know, people, uh, the anglers opening up and, and being yeah. who they are, not being afraid, you know, when when we get, when, when the anglers get to the point where they're not afraid to say or do something that'll affect their sponsorships, that then you'll start to see things open up a little bit, you know, so I don't know, I, I think maybe you're right, Dave, maybe we should, should we stage a few boat crashes? Uh Maybe if maybe if Kevin comes back, maybe if he actually is not retiring, he comes back to Bass. We oh. could be we could be villains again. That would be cool. God, it's, it's the ultimate comeback. You at the boat ramp, hey Jackass. Yeah. 
Oh, now yeah. you're not part of the community right. anymore. Yeah, leather jackets, whips, chains. We got the switchblades. <laughs> I have some Chinese stars from uh, the mall that I bought in the <laughs> Bring those Chinese stars. That'd be great. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, one day we can dare, <laughs> we can dare to dream. We can dare to dream. Um, dude, you you are incredible, and and proving how incredible KVD is. The weirdest thing ever is like this whole podcast has been super smooth, but the two times where I did get get choppy and I lost you was like when we were talking about KVD. So clearly he has some kind of don't let them speak ill of me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, but you're always you're always yourself. I mean, I'm not shocked that you're going in the Hall of Fame. I'm I'm very excited to see it because I, I think that um, I think it's very you know what you brought to the sport is amazing and um, and you brought it all by being yourself, dude. And and um, I can't thank you enough for your honesty. Um, and uh, I look forward to you know. What's what's the future for you? I mean, you're not you're just going to keep trying to kick ass in the elite series for a while, right? Like you don't have a plan to. No plan, no plan. Like I said, I I I caught that second wind, and uh, you know, I honestly I cannot imagine retiring at this point from bass from top level competition until I win again, and you know whatever that means. You know, I don't know if that means winning another elite or winning an open or, you know, I want to win again. I want to call, I want to fish a classic again. I mean, like those things have to happen yeah. for sure. But, you know, I think I'm at a point in my life now, it feels good to just be riding this wave right now. You know, I'm 50. I'm one of the old guys. Uh, you know, <laughs> I can still catch a bass once in a while. I can still make somebody laugh once in a while. It's good, man. Let me just keep going, you know? I like it. I like it. I like it. And I look forward to seeing you in the Hall of Fame. But uh, most of all, dude, I look forward to these kind of conversations. Me and you don't get a chance to do this that often. But every time I do talk to you, like every time we find ourselves at an event or something and we just end up being together, whatever, I always leave those conversations being like, man, I should... Me and I can at least should talk more because uh, I really, I really enjoy the way you think about things. And uh, weirdly enough, I think we're much more similar than I once thought we were. Very similar. Even though I didn't get <laughs> naked in the back of Gussie's car with the classic trophy, we are very much the same person. So thank you, Dave, for saying that. <laughs> there was a trophy. I wasn't naked. <laughs> this is Mike Iaconelli. And Bob Cobb, take it away. <laughs> Dave, thanks for having me on, man. I love you. And uh, it's so nice to talk to you. I feel, do a lot of podcasts. And this one, I feel like um, I'm at home. I feel comfortable doing this podcast and talking to you. So I appreciate that, man. That that means a lot when, you know, you can just be yourself and just talk and not necessarily talk about, how this crankbait dives six feet and hits off the bottom and creates a reaction strike. Pretty nice to talk about this. So thank you. Thanks for having me on again. Thank you for being on. Thank you for everything you've brought to this industry. And thank you for being who you are. I love you, Mike Iaconelli. It's dinner time. Hell yeah. Love you too, Dave. There you have it. The one and only Mike Iaconelli. Um, what a career. Um, what a person. And, uh, 
What a conversation. I thank him for a very cool and candid conversation as always. And I thank you guys for listening in. And as always, I thank Bob Cobb for opening and closing every single episode of this show. Take it away, Bob Cobb. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?